It was 1989, and that was 10 years after the beginning of the fundamentalist takeover of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, I'm not going to get into details. But what happened during those 10 years was that the, the very conservative Southern Baptists were placing on boards of seminaries and in front of seminary classrooms they're the people who believed and believed like they did. Now, that is not Baptist. That's another issue. In 1989, there was a group of dreamers who gathered and saw the future that if in the seminaries there was this very conservative view viewpoint being taught and pushed by the boards, then that was going to leave a lot of churches who do not have that conservative viewpoint with no one to go to for pastors but these conservative folks. So these dreamers said, let's start a seminary. And so they started working on that. And the next year, they sort of had a board pulled together, and they had decided on one person they thought would be the best leader for that seminary. And so they contacted this pastor in Charlotte. And first he said no. And they went back to him. And they said, we really think you're the person for this. He said, if you can get a million dollars pledged towards this new venture, then I will come as its president. 1991, the fall, the seminary opened. It opened after having this president come and a New Testament professor and a dean. That was it. Everybody else was adjunct, and all these three people were painting the rented space that they were using, listening to music from the 60s in their jeans and T-shirts. Seminary professors, I was impressed. Because I was seeing this from the beginning, and this was the seminary that I attended. Sixteen years later, this past May, Tom Graves, that pastor from Atlanta, retired. There are now 13 full-time faculty, many more adjuncts. There have been 500 graduates from Baptist Theological Seminary at Richmond, and the potential for many more. Now, I think about this because at the seminary, the, the main building for administration and the class, some classrooms has a, an engraved marker above it that says, here's, the pastor's name was Tom Graves, now it is Graves Hall. Tom Graves' legacy has been the founding and building of that seminary. Now, Dr. Graves is unusual in that he can actually see his legacy or part of it in that building and in the graduates who have walked across the dais as they've, they've graduated. While he still lives, he can see something of his legacy, positive results of his labor. Now, most of us, I would think, live with a latent or silent hope that the good that we do in this life will live after us. Do you? Do you think about that? 
maybe as an aunt or uncle or parent or someone who's had a job where you've been in touch with a lot of people. What is your legacy? What is your legacy? Do we live as if each of our actions could affect the future? Does a referee on a football field think about that when he pulls out that yellow flag and throws it down? That he could, he's not only affecting a play, he could be affecting the game, he could be affecting a season, he could be affecting a player's career and life with that one flag. Every decision we make has the potential to become a legacy. Now I wonder what the Sadducees thought about legacy. Luke tells us right away that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And yet they come to Jesus with this question. What happens with this wife and the seven husbands who marry her? Who is she married to in the resurrection? They're trying to make Jesus look foolish. Well, lots of people try. But, you know, he always counteracts that in some very creative way. And so this time he says marriage is important. Yes, marriage is important. It has a place in this age. It's important for family stabilization. It's important for the long-term viability of the human race. It's important to have to make little ones to grow into big big people and hopefully make the world a better place. But that's this age. The age to come will be different. Since in the age to come, this resurrection age, people can't die, well, we would need no one to replace them. Procreation wouldn't be an issue. Marriage will not be rendered, or marriage will be rendered unnecessary. And so in a way, Jesus is saying, so you're trying to make a fool of me, but sorry, you're the ones who are actually looking rather foolish. The question's moot. Well, he doesn't finish with a man. He has one more little Nick. He says, by the way, sort of, because the Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Bible. That was their scripture. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was it. So Jesus appeals to this in them, and he says, you know how Moses speaks as God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Well, if they weren't living to him, why would he not have said the God who was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He's, he's saying that they are living. They are living spirits to God. God, they are alive to God as we are. Whether our bodies are alive or dead, our spirits are alive to God. Now, this is nearly all Jesus says about resurrection through all the Gospels. There are a few other places where he speaks, speaks about resurrection, but there are few. So our questions about what it's going to look like when we get there, assuming we get there, 
what it's when we'll actually be resurrected, whether it's you know right at the moment of death or at Jesus' second coming. You know, all those questions are just going to remain unanswered. They're going to be answered in Arlene's seminar in heaven. But we have to wait till then. You know, we don't have control over those things. We don't have the answers. And so I think that if, you, if we take a look, a broad, broad look at what Jesus says, all the different things Jesus says, and he has this much to say about the resurrection, and he has all the rest to say about living this life, well then, which one is more important to him? To me, it seems obvious that Jesus is more interested in what happens in this life. And so that's why we think about legacies this morning. Now, I think legacies have something to do with passion. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about sexual passion. I'm talking about the things that give us energy, the things that bring us deep joy. Frederick Buechner defines vocation, the word vocation, as the place where your deepest joy and the world's deepest needs meet. And I think that could be said, too, of this idea of passion. The place where your deepest joy and the world's deepest need meet. Our vocation arises from our passion. Now, we can have a passion for sports. We can have a passion for trains. We can have a passion for fashion, for children, for music, for freedom. Whatever our passion, we can use it to carry the presence of Christ to other people. When, when, when we live out of our passion, I call this resurrection living. We find new life when we discover our passions and act from them. That's when we discover ourselves to be more of the person God has created us to be. Now, today's Veterans Day. And so we think about those who have a passion for freedom and a passion for our country. They leave a legacy of sacrifice, as do their families. And I would like for us to recognize veterans and close families of veterans. Would you, if you are a veteran or if you have one close by in your family, would you stand? This is a sense of, yes. Thank you. Thank you. It's a gift for us to be able to recognize you and your service to our country and that which enables our freedom now and many other people's freedom into the future. You have given us, veterans and families, a a legacy of freedom. That is a powerful, powerful gift. So we thank you for that legacy of freedom, of hope, of democracy, 
think for the others of you, think about, well, for all of us, you know, what is your passion? What is that deep within you that gives you joy, that gives you energy, that gives you strength? And even though it tires you out doing something, you still have energy when, you're do- when it's finished. What is that? When I noticed that seeing a person discover something new about God made emotion well up inside of me, I realized that that's my passion. And so um, I am now leading our middle and high school uh, student group once a month. And yes, it's challenging. And yes, it takes away family time. And yes, it's been a long time since I was there. <laughs> but it gives me joy. It's worth it. And so I, my prayer is that that would be a legacy that would somehow carry on through some of those kids as they learn and grow. Now, some of you are passionate about this church and what this con- congregation can accomplish for God. We've just started our stewardship campaign and you know what that means? The preacher has to talk about money. You know I love it. And yet, and yet I'm not embarrassed about it because I think you have made some really good decisions about where you want to spend your money. You think about when the children's choirs are singing and you never see the CD or the sheet music that they're using or just a couple of you do. But that's, what you're, that's one of the things that our budget supports. We feel the heat this morning. Thank you, Ty Watkins <laughs> and Jimmy Hunter and many others. And thank you, congregation, because it wouldn't be possible without your support. Some of the mission money that you give goes to organizations that help to offer resources to churches like ours or churches that are booming or churches that are dying. Many great places. Um, So if you haven't filled out a pledge card, I have to do this. You can get one. It's important. It's important to our church and it's important to the kingdom of God. That is a legacy that Calvary Baptist Church can pass along to future generations. Now, it doesn't have to be money. I, I know you, you can pull that out of what I'm saying, but I heard a story this week from Bo Prosser. He's a resource person with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship in Atlanta. And he had gone to lead a deacon retreat in Signal Mountain, Georgia. Signal Mountain, Georgia. Small town. But he was leading this deacon retreat, and he, he was talking to them about their passion. And so as the deacons were all gathered around, he went to each one individually and asked them for their passion. Now, Bo said there was one deacon who didn't like him, and he could just tell. I mean, she just had this attitude about her. The, you know, the arms crossed and wasn't responsive to what he was saying, and he's... She, She just didn't like me. And so guess who he called on first? This woman. Her name was Marie. What's your passion, Marie? 
Come back to me. All right. So Bo went around to the other people in the group, and finally he got back to Marie. Okay, Marie, what's your passion? Of course, he could do this. He's the outsider. He was leaving after this thing was over. I don't have one. Well, you know, some of us know what each other's passions are. Everybody knew what Marie's passion was, except Bo. So he kept pushing her. Come on, Marie, just tell us, what's your passion? Pies. All right, well, what kind of pie? Oh, come on. Really, what kind of pie? Is it coconut custard? That's my favorite. Pecan. Pecan pies is your, is your passion. Well, that's wonderful. Now tell me, Marie, how many people move into Signal Mountain every month? Three or four? Now, Marie, what would happen if you baked a pecan pie and took it to, you, when you saw the moving van, you took, took a pie to that person and said, I just wanted to say welcome to Signal Mountain. She looked at him. She said, you think I could do that? He said, I think you could do that. Now that is taking a passion and using it to share Christ's presence with another person. And that leaves a legacy. You know, who's not going to remember then that Marie brought me a pie when I moved to Signal Mountain, and I, I felt at home. I was scared moving here, but that made me feel at home. That's a legacy. Can you make a pie? Can you change a light bulb? Can you eat lunch with a student at an elementary school? You can be the presence of Christ for another person. You can leave a powerful legacy behind you. Maybe you had to memorize this from Mark Antony, thanks to Shakespeare. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is oft interred with their bones. So let it be with Caesar. I couldn't do it that dramatically in 11th grade. You know, the good that lives after us, we don't want that buried with us. That's our legacy. So let's live Let's practice resurrection living here. And the good will go on and on. May we pray? God of power, God of love, God of joy, and God of passion, you have put a spark within each of us and if we don't know what it is, help us to see and help us to share that 
and become the presence of Christ to another in his holy name. Amen.